Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, Fairfax Bible Church. What a week to be celebrating Jesus Christ and worshiping him together. Why don't you grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of John. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to start. We're continuing this series on the incarnation and just looking at the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and John chapter 1 is, is really the theology going to help us understand what is happening in the Christmas story here. So I want you to pick up and uh, follow along with me as I start reading John chapter 1, right at verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. And then we skip down to verse 14. This is what we saw last week as we started this series. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the incarnation, that the eternal Son of God entered into our world as a human baby, becoming a man. We're about to celebrate uh, Christmas, and uh, I'm really excited about that. I know you are as well, but can I just encourage you for a minute? Can I just encourage you? Don't let Friday just be all about the presents and, and maybe food. And, and, and maybe you've got some traditions that you do. In fact, somebody uh, introduced me to those uh, chocolate oranges that we talked about at the Christmas party, and they're pretty good, right? Like, we've got some things we're looking forward to, and that's okay. Maybe you're wanting to take a nap then or, or, or watch some Christmas movies, and those things are fine. But, but don't miss the opportunity to take some time on Christmas morning to really reflect and remember why we're celebrating. For us, uh, that means our kids know that the first thing we're doing is not ripping in and into all the presents and getting it all. Like, I know they're really going to be excited about that. We might end up having to actually send them back to bed uh, so that we can get up at a, at a decent time on that morning. But the very first thing we're going to do, once we're all coherent and ready to get after it, we're going to read the Christmas story. We're going to read the birth narrative, and then we're going to sing happy birthday to Jesus, as cheesy as that might sound, but we really want our kids to know and understand it's all about Jesus. He is the greatest gift. It's the gift of God's Son. Can I encourage you to think about what that's going to look like for you? you I mean, you do you, but put Jesus first and make it all about him. And today what I want to do is hopefully going to encourage you in you. That's really simple what I want to do. I just want to think about who Jesus is. What we want to do is reflect on the theology of the incarnation. That God became man. That we would grow in our appreciation of this. So that when you think about Jesus being born this week, your heart is just in awe. And you say, oh come let us adore him. In fact, that's the big idea. If you're taking notes, here's what I want you to take away. It's this. Let's, let's worship Jesus, the Son of God. 
Come on, church, let's worship Jesus. He is the Son of God. Last week we looked at his humanity that informs and fuels our worship of him, so appreciative of that. But now we're going to look at his deity, the fact that he is God. We're, we're looking at this doctrine that we call the hypostatic union. A little crazy, but, but we've got these two natures, Jesus' human nature and his divine nature, but they are united in one person, Jesus, the Son of Man the Son of God. He is fully man and also fully God, which is crazy and I know it's complex and it's incredibly difficult for us to really appreciate and understand that, but it's what scripture reveals to us. And I think it's gonna help us grow in our love for Christ and our worship of him. So let's approach it with these three questions that we used last week. Let's just ask this, is Jesus really God? Is it true? Is Jesus God? I want to tell you that you cannot read the Bible or take it seriously without coming to the conclusion, Jesus is God. If you were to read it and not come to that conclusion, it would probably be because you're treating the Bible like it's Harry Potter or some other novel where it's like a good make-believe story, but it's really just kind of there for entertainment. Or that it's like King Arthur, as if this is all just some like mythological legend, but it didn't actually happen. But that's not how the Bible was written. It is written as historical fact from multiple eyewitnesses who are writing down their shared experiences. Like, this is, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. And in the New Testament, we have these apostles. They, they, they were there. They saw it. They experienced it. And they became convinced of this truth that Jesus is God. This is why it says, verse 1, there it is, in, in the beginning was the Word. Now, this is, this is John the disciple referring to Jesus. Just, just notice for a minute that he doesn't start his gospel account with Mary and Joseph and the manger scene in Bethlehem where we, like normally if we were thinking about the life of Jesus, we would start there. No, no, no. He goes a little bit farther than back, back than that. In fact, he actually goes all the way back to the very beginning of human history at creation. And what we learn is that at the beginning, we, we borrowed this phrase from G.K. Chesterton. He said the curtain rises with the play already in progress. Like at the very beginning, when the story starts, there's a central character who's already in place, God himself. The son of God is there. And, and the pre-incarnate Christ, the son of God, before, before he became a man and was born as baby Jesus, what we're learning in John chapter one is that the son has always been. And then John just makes it explicitly clear in his claim to Jesus' deity. He says this, uh, look at it, verse 1, and the word was God. Like it doesn't get any more clear than that. Jesus, the word, is God. And that word, he says, verse 14, became flesh and we have seen his glory. And so John was just recognizing that this, this person whom he had just spent the three years following around and he saw him and listened to what he was teaching and, and, and watched him do all of these miracles and he saw him die on the cross and he saw him uh, risen from the dead three days later, that he's not just a man. He's also fully God. 
His disciples and his followers became convinced of it. John's convinced of it. And Luke also says the same thing in referencing the angel's uh, commands and his, and his claim to Mary. And, and when, when he comes and explains what's going to happen to her, Luke chapter 1, he said, The child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. John knew it. Luke knew it. Peter also became convinced of these things. In fact, Peter became so convinced that even when it wasn't popular anymore and, and people were turning around and like they didn't want to follow Jesus anymore in John chapter 6, he turns to Jesus and he's like, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And the writer of Hebrews chapter 1, he said, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power because he's God. Paul became convinced of the same thing. He says of him in Colossians chapter one, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So the writers of the New Testament are, are testifying to this fact. But, but, but it's not just that the apostles said it. Jesus said it. He actually said it about himself. John chapter 8, verse 58, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now we had begun uh, our year by finishing up preaching through the book of Exodus where we saw God revealing himself by that name. And Jesus is claiming the same name. I am. Then later in John chapter 10, verse 30, he tells us this, I and the Father are one, which is our understanding of the Trinity as God has revealed himself to us in his word, that our God has always existed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. There are three distinct persons persons and yet those three persons are one God and Jesus was claiming to be the second person in the Trinity the triune God and then John 17 in his high priestly prayer he kind of peeled back the curtain so that, that, that we could kind of see what his existence was like before creation he says father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed Jesus claimed that he was God. And there was no mistaking what Jesus was saying and that his claim was that he was God. Nobody, look, nobody's missing that. It's like people understood, which is why they're so shocked. They're, they're, they're like, did, did he just say what I think he said? There's nobody that's like, nah, no, nah, like he, it wasn't that. No, no, they're picking up stones and they're ready to kill him for blasphemy because they said, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They got it. They understood what he was saying, which is why the Pharisees were so ticked off when, when, when Jesus would say things like to, to a man, he would say, your sins are forgiven. And they recognized that as a claim to deity because they're like, whoa, 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 who can forgive sins but God alone? Like, you're right. That's the point. Jesus was claiming to be God. But it wasn't just what he said. It was also what he did. 
His miracles were signs. And Jesus didn't go about just like doing some magic tricks just to impress a crowd, like, like, like levitating off the ground or, or slicing people in two with a sword and then putting them back together again. Like he, he wasn't doing tricks uh, just to entertain people. His miraculous acts were signs in demonstration of his power over creation to show who he is as Lord and what he came to do as Savior in bringing restoration to this broken world. And think about even in the transfiguration as, as John and James and Peter are up on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them and they got a glimpse of his glory. They got to see like, man, he's, he's not just a man. He's also fully God. See, no one has ever walked on this earth or for that matter, walked on the water just like Jesus did. And so what that means is that you have to make a decision about who you believe Jesus is. It's especially true because of his resurrection. That this man, who unapologetically and clearly claimed to be God, predicted three times that he was going to die and then come back to life. Did that happen? And the evidence of the resurrection is what convinced his followers and birthed the church and rocked the world and altered the course of history forever. The evidence is overwhelming that it actually happened just as he said. He did it, that he died, and he rose again. Which is why C.S. Lewis popularized this argument that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, and he's left you no other choice. That he's either a liar because he's not really who he says he is, Right? And if, 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 if he's not really who he says he is, then you really can't say that he's a good teacher. Actually, he would be evil and deceptive, like he's trying to, to trick you. And it's not somebody that, that we can trust. Or he's a lunatic, like he's just a madman, like dude's crazy. Like he belongs in, uh, in an insane asylum or a psych ward, uh, along with all the other people that think that they're Batman or the Queen of England. Not somebody that you're going to be taking seriously. Or he really is who he says he is. That he is God. And that the story of his birth that you're going to be reading this week is not the stuff of legend, but it's actual history. I've had the privilege of, of getting to read it in my Bible and also stand in the church of the nativity in Bethlehem at the, at the exact spot where it's believed that Jesus was actually born as a baby. And I got to walk on the steps, the same steps that, that Jesus walked into Jerusalem as he was coming in to accomplish the mission and the reason that he came. 
So, so the Bible is abundantly clear. Yes, he is a man who walked on this earth. But he's also the God who created it. Which leads us to the second question then. The second question is this. Why is that important? Why are we taking the time to really consider this? And, and, and what are the implications? What, what, what is the significance of this? Why do we need to know this? Well, think about this. If it wasn't true, it would actually be wrong for us to sing songs exalting him and praising his name like we've already done this morning and give him the glory that only God deserves. It would be wrong for us to do that if Jesus isn't God. But because it is true, it means that the incarnate Christ, Jesus, is no less God and no less worthy to be worshipped. In the incarnation, the Son of God has a, a new body and a new nature, but he's not a new person. Uh, Javen, uh, sometimes when we're looking at family pictures and going through some memories from before he was born, he'll say, oh, that was, that's when God was still making me. And that's just his way of understanding that he didn't even exist yet. But that's never been the case for the Son of God. The Son has always existed. And so even though in the womb of Mary he added to himself a human nature, he's still the same person. It's still the God who has always deserved all of the glory. Which is why Hebrews 13 verse 8 would say that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. That even though he became a man, he did not lose his deity. He did not change the person of who he was. Now, Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 gives us this interesting insight into what's going on in the incarnation. It says this, that Jesus emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, some people wrongly assume that that word emptying means that, that, that when he became a baby, Jesus gave up some of his divine attributes. That's not true. If there was ever a moment when he ceased to have all of his divine attributes, then that would have meant that he necessarily ceased to be God, which is impossible. He can't stop being who he is. And so John MacArthur has said it to us this way. He said, his was an emptying by addition, not subtraction. That while the Son of God fully possessed his divine nature, attributes, and prerogatives, he did not fully express them. What this means is that at every moment of his earthly life and ministry, Jesus retained all of his divine attributes, but he didn't express them all at the same time. But, but, but he submitted himself to being a servant, becoming a man and experiencing a life of true humanity. And so he's got this divine, fully divine nature and a fully human nature, but it's not a, a, a mixture of these two natures as if like, like they all get jumbled up together making something else. 
But, but each nature, his divine nature and his human nature, maintain their distinction so that he is never less than truly God. And he's also never less than truly man. And at times, you see in the person and the life of Jesus these, these aspects or these, these attributes of his two natures, and somehow they exist in one person. Which, which is why he could be seen as having, he has a beginning like all human beings. And, and, and he's, we see him as weak and helpless as a baby. And we also see him as tired and sleeping later on in his life and, and, and hungry and, and thirsty and increasing in knowledge and limited to one place at a time. Like he's got to walk or he's got to ride a boat to get to where he wants to go and he could physically die. And yet at the same time, because he's fully God, he's omnipotent and all-powerful and he's omniscient, all-knowing that he sees the hearts of men and he knows what's coming and he's omnipresent, that he's eternal, without beginning, without end, and he does not grow faint, he does not grow weary, and it's just, it's just crazy that all of those things can be true of one person at the same time. And, and let's be real, it's okay for us to acknowledge that there's some mystery here. That, that, that while we can know God, praise God, we can know him. That he is so much greater than our finite minds will ever be able to comprehend. Jesus is truly awesome. It's actually one of the reasons why I believe my faith is reasonable. Because who would ever make this up? But the reason this is so important is that we would know with certainty that God himself saved us. This is his work. And when you think about that little baby and, and again, he's a human baby. It really happened. So, so you can kind of picture him making his little newborn grunts and, and he's all wrapped up and he's squirming in, in, in the manger and, and, and Mary and Joseph are, are, are counting all of his tiny little fingers that they, they can barely grasp onto theirs. It's the same person who flung the stars and galaxies into existence and holds the universe in his hand. And that he came and he did what no man could do. That, that, that by humbling and submitting himself as a servant, he added humanity to his divinity so that he could die in our place. And he was perfect. And he perfectly fulfilled the law, which you and I could not. So then, when he died... He died as the perfect sacrifice. Only God could do that. And because the Son of God added a human nature to his person, he did that for us as our representative, as our, as our great high priest, so that by his blood we could be saved. He paid the price, the penalty, that we deserved.
to pay. But he did it for us. God did this. The one who made us. He he didn't just leave us to suffer and die as condemned sinners. But God came and he suffered and died in our place so that we could live with him forever. So, of course, the appropriate question then is this. How should we respond? What do we do? What do we we say? How do we respond to this awesome gospel? Well, I think the proper response is what we've already sung this morning. Oh, come, let us adore him. Do you adore Jesus? Do you love him more than anything? Are you in awe of the person of Jesus Christ? That he is our God. And as such, he is worthy of all of our praise and our glory. And, and, and so we worship him. We, we, it is right that we sing and that we submit to him. But we also remember him. And, and we think that because Jesus is the son of God, he is our savior. So we're going to take communion together this morning. And I know it, it's Christmas. You know, it may not seem like we're supposed to be taking communion, but what an awesome time for us to do this so that we would remember why he came and what he did for us on the cross. So before we take those, I want to pray for us. Father, we're so thankful that you would send your son. Jesus, that you took on humanity. And yet you did not give up all of your divine attributes. That you are fully God. And so you deserve our praise and our glory. All the glory, Lord. It's yours. I pray that you would Help us to reflect and think on these things as we consider the Christmas story again this week. That we would appreciate you for who you are and the implications of this theology of the incarnation. That we can know you, even though you, 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 you expand and, and, and you're beyond our ability to understand and comprehend. We cannot fully know you, but we can know you. And we can have a, a personal relationship with you because of what you came to do. So we give you praise for that. Lord, we rejoice in the gospel. We rejoice that you came to die for us, but that you did not stay dead, but you rose again, conquering sin and death, so that we could have the hope of eternity, living with you forever. And we give you praise for that as we remember these things and celebrate them again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.